What can be learned from a story woven out of fragmented moments of joy, pain, and blissful awareness? I wrote my first book, Flesh Mapping, in 2013. It was an invitation into co-creating a pedagogy, a way of learning through our shared narratives of plays and politics, a way of mapping the injuries of the material, emotional, spiritual impact of all our many journeys of growth. Some may call it struggle, forced poverty, displacement, hunger, and war. As a child raised in war, I've learned many lessons. And in the art of living, I'm inviting some of my heroes some of the people who walk with me, who have taught me to walk in beautiful ways, to see co-creation, to see community as our immunity to pain, to suffering, to wanting. Welcome. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson, and this is The Art of Living. I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. This morning, I'm delighted to be speaking with Darren Lund. He's one of my favorite authors. His book that really brought his work to life for me was The Great White North, Exploring Whiteness, Privilege, and Identity in Education. Since then, I've read many articles. He's written over 300 articles. He's got a beautiful book of multicultural um, critical perspectives. So I'm delighted to have you on our program, Darren. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sylvia. It's always great to talk with you. In 2020, we heard, you know, the tragic death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement um, spark. But in reality, Black Lives Matter was a movement that started long before George died. And, and likewise, in Canada, Indigenous people have been mobilizing. You know, it was not by lack of trying. I mean, I should point out the Indian Act not only um, forced them into segregation, but also restricted their eligibility for voting. It prohibited them from going to universities, from hiring lawyers. I mean, there were so many layers. But despite all that, we see the resilience of a people. And so what keeps you engaged and hopeful, you know, and this critical hope that you speak of, um, when you look at your surroundings and you see the injustice and you see the structural and systematic oppression that crush in, but yet what makes you get up in those days when it seems really hard to do your work? I, I think, yeah, because we need sources of hope and inspiration. And I mean, I see, I see a lot of hope in the growing appetite for social justice knowledge and wisdom around seeking equity, you know, and I, I like that corporations are reaching out to community activists and scholars to say, help us. <laughs> we, we, we need, you know, you, you've been doing this work for years. Community activists have been, you know, fighting these fights for years. Help us people that are, have more, you know, power and more economic power uh, to try to get it right, to try to get it better. And I, I, you know, you can be a bit cynical and rightly so to think, okay, this is about bottom line. This is about they're feeling some pressure from shareholders or they're feeling pressure from consumers, but that's okay. It's wherever the pressure is coming from. Uh, I hope for better outcomes. So 
maybe this is a time that we can rethink our policies. This is a time that we can sit down with people that ha- are sharing common interests. I was, you know, recently invited to speak to people at Suncor, an energy company, around these uncomfortable conversations we need to have on social justice. The Alberta Family Mediation Society wants to talk about it. The uh, Restorative Justice Society, there are people, you know, all over that are saying, help us take these first steps. What do we not know that we need to know? And just another really promising, exciting one for me, uh, very humbled to have been invited to speak at the University of Louisville, where Breonna Taylor was uh, uh, brutally murdered in her own apartment. Uh, And they're initiating, the University of Louisville is initiating a a community or a, a, a symposium on how community engagement can help address racial justice. I, I, I just like to see all of these, you know, groups who share common goals toward equity, toward social justice for all, um, coming together to say we we can learn from each other. Let's let's you know look at all of the things that are going well. Look at all the sources of resistance and what are some successes that we've had, and how can we continue to work together, both people in the mainstream and people whose lives are directly affected every day by these um, inequitable uh, conditions. We don't know what we don't know. You know, uh, I, growing up in a war-torn country meant um, despair was evident. You know, you, you bury friends and relatives on a daily basis and, and, and you feel, you feel like this, you know, ju- you can be blown by the wind any second. And yet, my family's attitude was that hopelessness was not on the menu. You know, hopelessness precedes disease. My mom would say, and so mm-hmm. you just yeah. you, you just don't engage. And so she was always busy doing something, maybe making coffee for the funeral, maybe going on some you know inquiry, finding people who had been disappeared. There was always something. You know, she was in it, and and um, you know it didn't do very well for them. I father was murdered and my mother was left for dead and yet I still see the importance of her teaching you know I I see that we all die we all we all will eventually die and it won't matter how we die well it does matter it's you know it's of incredible importance um, to, to others to survive us but we, but our life is finite, you know, and so in many ways, I think that the the gift of being alive is this gift of now of engagement, of being able to create something that will serve generations to come, right? And so how how we take that responsibility, I think, is key in how well we sleep, how well we we feel with life. So I, I wonder how you invite your students to begin to take those steps, you know, and to to engage with what is hard, to to sit through the pain, and and to be able to um, see the gift of going through it with with another group, with a group of suffering, and and the 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 gift of of seeing something transform. Yeah, I mean. It is that kind of an invitation, I think. I, I really like the idea of invitational learning, of 
inviting students along and you know it it can't be you know people can't be force fed or you know hit over the head with things but it does have to be powerful and i i i really like the book is everyone really equal uh, an introduction to key concepts in social justice education written by Oslam Sensoy from Simon Fraser University and Robin D'Angelo, who does a lot of work around white fragility and whiteness. But this is this book is wonderful for undergraduates and graduate students to get have the, to get the language to think about how they've been socialized and to think about how social justice issues are really permeate all aspects of education. So that one for me is a good guidebook. It's it's like a handbook that gives us the language to start talking about what can be done. But I think the key too is finding all these excellent authors that have been writing so well about it for years. Uh, George Day at the University of Toronto and his work on critical anti-racism and, uh, you know, Patrick Solomon, the late Patrick Solomon, uh, Carl James from York University, Melinda Smith, who's now from uh, uh, now at University of Calgary, Carl Grant in the United States, and Jim Jim Banks, uh, James Banks, and all of these amazing scholars. Dwayne Donald, an Indigenous scholar at the University of Alberta, uh, Verna Saint Denis and the Saint Denis, and so many others in Canada, who's you know are just such great mentors and such great scholars. Uh, people of color who've, you know, not just lived the experiences, but who've theorized on them and who've done research on them and can help students, you know, gain a, just a wealth of knowledge as they move forward with um, with their own learning. So I can, you know, I, I like to be maybe a facilitator or a conduit of something and that, you know, all, all I can try and be is a, is a good ally and a good uh uh, I guess, yeah, guide for for students. I'm I'm still on this journey myself, so I still have an awful lot to learn and an awful lot to continue to unlearn uh, moving forward. So I, can, I find uh, so many of these uh, great scholars, and there are all kinds of up and coming scholars as well that uh, are really easy to find. <laughs> you know, one of the things that really um fill me with hope is that last year as the election results were revealed there was a hundred thousand people that you know went through part i guess um went to washington in protest and there was this big news media about it right and to me Mm -hmm. i I thought you know well yeah there was a hundred thousand people but there was 26 million who participated in the Black Lives Matter movement. 26 million uh-huh. in the midst of pandemic. So to me, our numbers are bigger. Our, the people who want social change and justice are growing in numbers, and we are the majority. It's just that we haven't yet changed the systems, the report on what we're doing, on what people are dreaming about. Um, in Canada, we saw the Wasuetan people unite with Indigenous people across Canada in protest of, you know, the invasion of their territory. And, you know, if the pandemic hadn't crossed, you would have heard news of how Indigenous people block the, you know, the rails and the economy was mm-hmm. literally stopped by their social movements. So we are stronger than we think we are. 
and we are more powerful than we constantly remind you know are reminded in the media so uh, I think that the work of uh, educating is also to recovering to remembering our own power you know of who we are and what we are able to create when we work together so what are some of the projects that have really sparked your imagination and um, fill you with hope as you engage with your students' community work? Well, I know like Black Lives Matter uh, hit Canada and during the pandemic, as you say, and it was powerful. You know, we saw even in Calgary, uh, which is, you know, fairly conservative in the heart of oil country and all of that, you know, quite a conservative province thousands and thousands of people take to the streets to uh, to stand in solidarity with with uh, black people and African-American people uh, and really fighting for the same kind of justice for them as for anyone. So I, I'm left very hopeful by that, by by those kinds of uh, of large movements that we see there's an appetite for. Um, there also are all kinds of movements right now uh, supporting public education and supporting our doctors and public medicine as our government is attacking them, cutting, uh, sh- cutting salaries, uh, closing, uh, you know, forcing doctors out of the province. We've got uh, um, all kinds of grassroots lobby groups, people coming together to say, no, we want a strong public medicine. We want strong public medicine. We don't want that privatized. And we don't want uh, to see schools diminished and have only the elite get good education. Um, Save Our Schools is a, is a, a grassroots parent lobby group for keeping public education strong here in Alberta. I've seen a, another group emerge, Hakili, uh, around community engagement uh, in anti-racism and anti-oppression, uh, so many that I, you know, I, I can't even possibly know all the names, but just all kinds of really neat grassroots, uh, you know, and groups of LGBTQ students and teachers coming together to support a network across, you know, Gay Straight Alliance network across the province, where we understand that you know, creating these um, sources of support for some creates a a better society for all. It creates a a safer learning environment. It creates more accessible institutions. So I think it behooves us all to uh, find out what's already being organized in our communities and, uh, you know, get on board however we can. It's It's a bit daunting because, you know, you can feel like, well, I don't even know the right language or I I don't know the the right questions to ask yet, but that's where anyone in the activist community needs to be a lot more, I think, accepting and tolerant of people new to the uh, new to the field to say, you know, your heart's in the right place. We can you know guide you on this. I love that you bring this aspect of compassion for ourselves and compassion for others because we don't know what we don't know, you know, mm-hmm. and. In the Toltec tradition of the Mayan people, one of the the agreements is do not take things personal. And it's like we didn't invent, you know, the structures of imperialism and colonization. 
but we are responsible for transforming them. And so that I think is the difference. You know, we, we don't have to feel guilty for the crimes of our ancestors, but we have to be responsible. And you've told me over the years different metaphors for this, and I always love to hear them and to share them with my audience. So do you have a way that you teach your students about this? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a nice one that I learned from Carl James in Ontario. But he said, you know, if you moved into a house and the furnace was broken, you wouldn't say, well, that happened before I got here. It's not my fault. I, I can't blame me for that. Uh, you would actually get together with the other people in the house and work on fixing that furnace. So how, you know, Canada is the same. We, we all arrived here from somewhere except for our indigenous people. So we're, we're arriving here from somewhere and there are problems that predated our arrival, but we're here now, as you say, we're, it's on us. We let's fix that furnace. Let's, let's work together to, to, uh, fix it now. Uh, and you know, a little bit of guilt isn't a bad thing either. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like a bit of discomfort where you don't want paralyzing guilt. You don't want people to feel so badly that they're unable to, to work their way out of it. You want people to feel, you know, maybe uncomfortable and guilty enough about their privilege that uh, this isn't right. You know, that, uh, something needs to change that there's some there's circumstances right now that are definitely uh in need of reform and uh, renewal and we can all play a role in that we cannot destroy what we love you know and i think the first part perhaps is to fall in love with life you know if we if we love life and we realize that our life is so derived from the air that we breathe the land that grows our our food the waters that we drink these are essential indigenous principles you know that the water and the land really are the most precious things we have and and that i think has a lesson that has been completely beat out of most children in school thinking of nature as resources, thinking of, you know, uh, of life as commodity, right? So, so those who can afford it can have it, and those who cannot go without. Um, how do we not only keep this ethical perspective, you know, of who we are and how we are embedded with life, um, centered to our struggles locally, but also a global ethic at the center of our local struggles. That's a task. That, that's a, a, an ongoing task that I think it's like a perspective or a lens we need to have, right? That, um, that as much as, yes, our uh, local struggles and struggles by marginalized people are very specific to this place, to this government, to these conditions, to this history. This parallels what's going on in oppressive situations everywhere. So we know that as much as, yes, this is a unique situation here, what, what these people are facing uh, currently, but, or what we are facing currently, 
but to realize this is also going on in so many other places. So, uh, you know, the, the, if we see positive efforts here, if we see something, a breakthrough there, we can use that. We can use that momentum. We can use the knowledge and the, the you know, collective energies and, uh, and efforts and materials and resources and research to promote the same kinds of, um, the same kinds of progress, uh, that we, that we can see elsewhere. So I guess it's an, it's, it is an ongoing global struggle, but it, it's bringing that global to the local and vice versa. I think that's going to keep, uh, keep sustaining the, the good work of people, um, you know, that are, that are gathered for this work. I love food. <laughs> I love <Me> music. <laughs> and I love engaging through food and music because I think our struggles are also a celebration. You know, in many ways, we have found each other. We have found each other. And to me, that's a cause for celebration, you know, to not feel alone. Like, I think that the biggest uh, harm of this pandemic, you know, it's not the pandemic itself, but rather the imposed isolation and uh, this sense of having to distance yourself from others. I think it's one thing to social distance, to prevent the spread of disease. And it's another thing to be completely alone to be to to try to insulate yourself you know to in many ways we we need to spread it to end it right <laughs> you know just yeah. like a good cold right so i i wonder in closing um how do we engage in education as a form of celebration how do we bring this indigenous practice of honoring what is accepting you know where we are so we can set course in a different way and uh, and celebrating our steps as we move along together as we create together mm -hmm. it's essential i think you're you know you're so right like the the humanity and the humanizing elements of education i think are crucial and i really you know, I like teaching online. I see a lot of community building, a lot of solidarity and love and care with, with this, with my students. But I think the, you know, the, I miss the face-to-face -face classes and I miss the, you know, someone signing up to bring a new kind of food each week for our, uh, you know, mid-class break. Those are the moments, you know, where good conversation happens and bonding and, and likewise with, with activist groups, you know, that come together and uh, laughing together through the tears or crying together <laughs> or, you know, like a pride parade celebration where 50 or 100,000 people come together. <laughs> you know, what, what was unthinkable even 20 years ago is now a huge celebration in the community. So, I, you know, that that has to be what we we can still do it virtually for now, but we're, we're looking forward to those moments where we can, you know, hug one another and, and, uh, and, uh, just see the smiles on people's faces again. And I'm really, really, uh, hopeful for, you know, almost more gratitude for those moments that, you know, not, not taking any of this for granted, not taking, 
just our ability to even meet, you know, taking that, we, I think we have taken a lot of this for granted. And uh, I hope that uh, post pandemic that we'll be even more grateful for those moments for all of the people in our lives and all of the people that uh, came before us and realize that we're just all, as you say, we're on this temporary journey here. And the, the more work that we can do uh, for the betterment and how we leave this place, I think is, that will be our legacy. And I look forward to it. <laughs> is there a, I don't know, I, I have my own little practices. And sometimes when I'm feeling down, I have this beautiful book of Chinese proverbs. And um, one of my favorite ones is about um, this man who's being chased by a lion. And he runs, 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 and he gets to the cliff. And at the cliff, he's like, oh, the lion is just about to grab him when he jumps off the cliff and grabs onto this little vine. And he's hanging by one hand on the vine. And if he lets go of the vine, there's another lion waiting for him at the bottom. And as he's hanging there in this between attacks, he notices a beautiful red plump strawberry. And holding on with his one hand, he just reaches up, grabs it and eats it up. And, you know, the whole time he's doing this, there's a little rat gnawing at his little vine. <laughs> And so, and so, you know, the, the proverb is beautiful because it really talks about the lion behind, the chasing you one, is your past, right? We all have things in our past that we're being chased by, that we wish we hadn't done, that we can't let this sleep, whatever. And then the lion on the bottom is your death. You will die one day. That lion will get you. <laughs> but in between, you have this tiny little vine that's your life. And the white and the black rat, you know, gnawing at your vine is your day and night. Every day you have so many hours of daylight and so many hours of night. And in between, you, you have the opportunity to either savor that strawberry that is your life or be completely consumed <laughs> by the fear of losing your vine. So that's that keeps me going you know whenever i lose perspective i go back to that and i think yes you know that happened <laughs> and now we're here you know what what's today what can today offer right what can today this is a moment right we always have the opportunity to start over to create something beautiful so I love that uh, proverb. I think that's just a wonderful way to end this. <laughs> just uh, reach out and take a big bite of that strawberry <laughs> whenever you can. Thank you so much for all the beautiful ways you invite us to engage in all the beautiful ways that you write to discomfort us from our habits of being and to be in this moment, you know, change agents to create the society we want to see. For people who want to access your work and engage with your books, how can they access your work? Um, you can just Google my name, Darren Lund, University of Calgary, and my website should have uh, some of them, certainly. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Darren E. Lund. But really, I think, yeah, um, there's so many good authors out there. There's so many wonderful writers. 
it's uh, it's really really humbling to be in the presence of all of these folks that uh, are so committed to their work and from their own perspectives, from their own specific focus, you know, doing all of this. So I invite people to uh, come on board and. Certainly, I'm uh, very humbled by your kind words today. Thanks, Sylvia. Thank you so much for being with us, Darren. All right. You take care. Thank you for listening to The Art of Living. I'm an educational consultant and artist, authored. For more information about upcoming events, workshops, retreats, please reach out to sylviarichardson.com. Until next time, remember to be playful, to celebrate joy, and to allow love in all your co-creations. You'll never have to wonder where the groove went. The groove is you.